Hey, movement makers, welcome to the PBL Simplified Podcast, where we talk about leading with integrity, vision, and inspiration so you can create a PBL movement worth fighting for. When I created a PBL school, there was no roadmap. So Magnify Learning spent the last decade creating that PBL movement roadmap for you to start your PBL movement today. Today in this episode of the PBL Simplified Podcast, we are talking about the last two keys to collaboration. Because every movement maker can create a culture of collaboration, which creates a solid foundation for your PBL movement by navigating these four keys to collaboration. Now, if I grab my keys, the first one was the key fob of my truck, because this is the one that makes things move. This is priority. Collaboration has to be a priority for your classroom and your school. It creates a safe culture, your SEL style, and also creates a collaborative environment where you're creating better outcomes than you would for learners by themselves and your staff, by the way. So the first key is making collaboration a priority. The second key is the house key. This is the one where you have to know you. You have to know yourself to work with others. And that goes for adults and it goes for kids. When kids know more about themselves and their personality, they understand the world a little better. When they can then look outside of themselves and see the personality of their classmates, they can now work better together and they see the world a little differently. Huge, huge benefits to that, right? Like you see, but you have to talk through that with yourself and with your learners so you see the benefit because collaboration takes more time. Or at least it seems to. I would say that things actually move a little quicker once your learners know how to collaborate and they're good at it, when you get towards the second half of second semester and they're like, hey, Mr. Stoyer, is it okay if we run a tuning protocol real quick? Yeah, let's do it. Right? And they can actually run it on their own. It's a big deal. So now we are to the third and fourth keys that every movement maker can know to create a great collaborative culture. The third key is getting classrooms that collaborate. Classrooms that collaborate. So you've made it a priority, you've done some personality work, you understand yourself, your learners understand themselves, but you need to walk the walk. So how do you get classrooms to collaborate? Let me give you an example. When I was teaching eighth grade English, I was teaching parallelism because it was one of our standards, of course. Everything we do is standards-based. So here I am teaching parallelism and I'm doing it through the Declaration of Independence. Right? There are sections in the Declaration of Independence that are parallel, da 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 and you can see that. Now to do that, to give my, my learners context, I tried to teach the Declaration of Independence. I'm not a history guy. Like I didn't go study history. It's not like the thing that I jumped to. I love the leadership books that I read that bring context of, you know, history into some of these leadership terms that we, we look at and use. But that wasn't my, it wasn't my jam, if you will. So, I'm doing this for a couple of years. And then finally, one of my learners says, oh, hey, Mr. Stoyer, yeah, the Declaration of Independence. Like, Mr. Phipps just taught that uh, last week. Oh, cool. Um, I bet he did a really good job. Did I do, did I do all right? Yeah, and I easily could have taught something wrong, although I tried really hard. But what I found out is Mr. Phipps is literally next door to me, right? Literally the classroom next door. Wouldn't it have been great for our learners if he had taught the Declaration of Independence in his expertise, and then I would have taught my parallelism in conjunction with that? We could have saved a lot of time with Mr. Stoyer teaching history either slowly, incorrectly, or vaguely, right? And allowed Mr. Phipps to teach with passion and accuracy the history of the Declaration of Independence, and then I could have tied my standards in. 
That's how classrooms can collaborate. Like we need to do that as adults. We need to bring in some natural connections to our classrooms and our learners can start to see the value of collaboration. So that, my friends, is key number three, is how do we get classrooms to collaborate? So how do you do that practically now, Movement Maker? That's a question you should always be asking, is how do I actually use this? And when you look at your classroom situation, maybe you're on a team, if you're teaming, there are a ton of ways for you to do that. One of my favorites is as a team, you take your team time and you put your power standards up on a giant dry erase board, or a chalkboard, whatever that looks like for you, and you start to see where you can make connections, right? Like this big standard here ties into this standard in social studies, and boom, you can you can see those and draw those out. But not everybody's in a teaming situation, and even if you are, it doesn't mean everybody's bought in yet. So I like to start with a win-win situation. What does a win-win situation look like in this case? Well, let's take my example for example. If the history teacher's next door, he's likely going to be teaching something where he wants an essay written. So he's going to have to, in some form, teach how to write an essay, or he's going to get awful essays. All right, so why doesn't he just come next door and say, hey, Mr. Stoyer, when are you teaching essays? Second nine weeks. Great. I'm going to assign an essay at second nine weeks. Right as you're teaching that, we'll do it in conjunction. And now, like Mr. Phipps is benefiting from our collaboration. So he's more likely to jump in. He's like, oh, great. I don't have to teach essays. Fantastic. And if he's really good, he'll even con me into to grading them. Oh, Mr. Phipps. Well done, sir. So uh, the point is, though, where can you find win-win? If you're the movement maker and you're trying to bring more people into collaborating and they're not used to it yet, because we're not used to it. Even as adults, we have to learn. Find some win-win scenarios where you can bring people in and it just makes sense for them to collaborate with you. Uh, you know, if you're in uh, a movement maker uh, community where you're innovating, then make this a systematic piece where you're collaborating. So maybe nobody does a PBL unit until it hits a tuning protocol with adults, right? So you have to find some kind of team time somewhere or faculty meeting to kind of roll out this PBL unit idea that you have and get feedback. Great way to collaborate. Now more of the school knows what you're doing. They can pour into your work, right? And you get better ideas. So there are a lot of ways, but you want to start with classrooms collaborating because as the adults are bringing classrooms together, the learners see that. They're like, oh yeah, that's right. This makes so much more sense because these two classes, I call it kind of some built-in authenticity, right? There's some authenticity in the learner's mind because they just went from second period to third period and things make sense, right? They see that, like, oh, collaboration's a good thing. So that's the third key to collaboration. So what's the fourth key? The fourth key is that kids need to collaborate. And so how do you get your kids to collaborate? Once you've made it a priority, you have brought it home with your personality and your learner's personalities so they can understand each other. You've got classrooms collaborating. The fourth key to collaboration that will create a fantastic culture for your PBL movement is that kids collaborate. If putting kids in the same space created collaboration, then lunchrooms across the country would be solving the world's problems. And as it turns out, that's not happening. Mostly tater tots are getting tossed around. So just putting kids in the same space does not do it, right? You've probably figured out by now that you're like, oh, PBL, I'll put kids in groups and great things will happen. Not necessarily, like just putting kids together doesn't make great things happen. So there has to be more to it. So how do you do this? You need to teach collaboration. You can do that through a fishbowl. So in a fishbowl protocol, you're gonna bring in a group that's ideally probably collaborating pretty well, 
or you could do a non-example as well, either way. But the rest of the class is like looking around as if this group is in the fishbowl. So they're here in the fishbowl and you give them, they're gonna say, hey, can you guys walk through your morning meeting routine? Like, how do you do that? And they do that. And then the fishbowl, the rest of the class says, okay, well, they were watching Billy. What did Billy do well? Well, Billy was organized. He had the agenda and he asked good questions. Great. How did Emily do? Emily did pretty well. She probably could have asked some follow-up questions, da, 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 da. but you're now teaching collaboration to the class. You're not just expecting them to know that collaboration is cool and know how to do it. Because at the end of the day, one of my theses is that most adults don't really know how to collaborate well. So expecting kids to do this without help or teaching is just crazy. So, but you still need some practical ideas, right? Movement maker, you're like, okay, I get it. I need to teach it, but how? So group norms, great way to do that. Like what are the norms for collaboration? You know, and, and set those up as a class. Like what are the things in this class in period seven that need to happen for collaboration to happen well? Well, we don't laugh at people's ideas. Great, that's a good one, right? We take everybody's ideas when we're brainstorming. Great. If we have conflict, we address it within 24 hours. Love the 24 hour rule. If we can address it on our own, we'll go to Mr. Stoyer. Awesome. And you kind of create these norms that people can feel safe within uh, while they're acting in groups and they're collaborating. Group contracts, huge win, almost an immediate win. If you don't do anything else with collaboration with kids in this fourth key, bring in group contracts. They don't have to be perfect. We've got some that we can link into this podcast, I'm sure. Uh, if you come into the PBL Movement online community, we've got a whole course on creating group contracts. So you should definitely jump into the online community. And you can ask a bunch of questions, like who has a great group contract that they like? But the idea of a group contract is now you're laying out what are the steps you're expecting your learners to take when they're in groups, both when things are going well and when there's some conflict. But there needs to be some structure so that, let's say group roles, for example. You come into a group, uh, maybe this never happened to you, maybe it was just me. You come into the group and say, hey, how are things going? Well, Devon's just looking up pictures on, on Google Images. And Devon goes, well, I thought that was my job. Okay, um, is that Devon's job? No, we, we wanted him to be the recorder. Oh, you guys never told me that. And if there's no group contract, it just kind of goes around in this nebulous circle of fogginess and nonsense. But there's a group contract, at the very beginning, we're assigning roles. So then it's like, hey, Devon's just looking up Google Images. Well, Devon, what's your role? Uh, I'm supposed to be the recorder. Oh, but I, and I thought I should do some Google Image stuff. And okay, Devon, but you're the recorder, so let's do the things that the recorder does. And they look at the three bullet points, and that's what Devon should do, right? So once you have some structure now, and probably not before now, you can really hold learners accountable. But mostly what happens in the group contract is that things are so clear, they tend to hold themselves accountable. And not so much that there's the group leader like telling people what to do, but Devon knows what he's supposed to do. Like, it's really clear. Like, that's what helps make groups, I usually say, less awful. You want groups to be less awful, and eventually you want them to be excellent. There's always going to be some conflict, and group mediation is a great place to teach how to do groups and how to collaborate. Remember, that's our goal. It's a priority for us, right, as movement makers, is that collaboration is part of what we do as adults, is part of what we're teaching our learners, because it's such a valuable skill. When you ask industry partners what they want from our learners, from our graduates, it's in the top five every single time, right? Problem solving, um, agency, collaboration or teamwork. In some way, they say collaboration. And if we haven't taught our learners, we're doing them a disservice. I understand that it's maybe not one of your power standards. It might not be an academic standard for you at all. But if you do an ideal graduate protocol of like, what do we want our learners to know, say, and think before they leave our school system? 
Collaboration will always be one of those. So you have to take time to teach this and group mediation is a great way to do that. In fact, if you go into my book, PBL Simplified, there's a whole chapter where I actually walk through a group mediation with you. And I actually give you like the dialogue that I had with, with Dante and his group. Because when you get into group situations, uh, you know, again, kids just haven't been taught how to do it. So like, well, we want to fire somebody because they haven't shown up. It's like, well, he had mono. Like you can't fire somebody for having mono, right? It's like, and that's a real situation, by the way. Um, so you can grab it in the book. Um, you can grab it in the PBL movement online community. You've got a ton of resources for this, but collaboration needs to be a priority because every movement maker can create a culture of collaboration, which creates the solid foundation for your PBL movement by investigating those four keys. Remember what they are? The first one, the, the driver is priority. Collaboration has to be a priority for you. You have to believe that it's important so that your learners believe it's important. The second key brings it home. You need your personality style, your learners, you know their personality styles so they can see outside of themselves and see that people are different than them and then they can collaborate. The third key is that classrooms need to collaborate. You need to collaborate with the other second grade teachers on your teams or your grade levels. You need to collaborate with your STEM partner, your humanities partner, whoever that is. And as you're collaborating, your learners get it. The fourth key is that eventually your learners need to collaborate. And remember, space doesn't create collaboration or lunchrooms wouldn't be throwing so many tater tots, we'd be figuring out world peace. So we have to teach that collaboration for your kids. But once you do that, you will have a culture of collaboration that accelerates everything else that you're trying to do. You're going to have to correct less. You're going to have to, have you ever gotten to, this is totally off script or what do we plan on talking about? Have you ever gotten like a final paper turned in and it was just totally off topic? Like what are the causes of the Revolutionary War? And they wrote about their, about a camel right? Their favorite animal at the zoo. And it's like, how did this happen? Like we've been doing this for four weeks. Like one, obviously I had some poor benchmarks and assessments throughout, but like, how did you not know that we were talking about, you know, I've been teaching for weeks. Remember everybody else presented like, how, how did that happen? When you have a collaborative environment, you have 30 other people in the room that can tell Johnny that he's wrong. Hey, Johnny, remember, we're not talking about camels anymore. We're talking about the revolutionary war. It starts to compound when you have this culture of collaborativeness and there are so many wins that come out of it. It's so worth your time. If you missed the first two points of this collaboration talk, you need to go back to episode 165, two episodes ago, and I'll hit those first two points in detail. If you know somebody on your team that needs to hear more about collaboration and they need this episode, send it to them because we've got to collaborate. To get to 51% of schools using PBL by 2051, we'll need to collaborate. Like, no doubt. Like, to, to create a nationwide place for collaboration, at Magnify Learning, we knew it had to be there. We didn't really see what we envisioned. So we created the PBL Movement online community just for you. It's got a project library. It's got on-demand courses. But again, the real deal, the game changer for your career will be that you get to interact with other movement makers just like you. And I can say that confidently because we've built in challenges and helps and rooms and webinars and interactions for builders, if you're just getting started, launchers, if you've been doing this for a bit, and innovators, if you're a veteran and an expert. They're all in this community. So whether you're brand new to PBL or a veteran, you have a place to collaborate, you have a place to ask those questions where you're like, you're not sure who to ask. And your entry events like in two days, right? What do you do? You've got a place for them. 
So remember, if you want to go fast, you can go alone. But if you want to go far, if you really want to make that difference that you really want to make and teach the way you've always wanted to teach, you got to go together. Because you're on a journey and your best teaching is going to be happening 10 years out from now. You're getting better every day, right? So it just makes sense logically that your best teaching is going to happen 10 years from now. You're going to be a better teacher, but we need you to be here still. You can't leave the profession. Your learners, this PBL movement that you're a part of needs you to be in the game 10 years from now because you're going to be awesome. You're awesome now, but if you're getting better every day, you know you're going to be more awesome. So I want you to be thinking about far. You've got to be going with someone. You need to be together with someone. And that's why we created the PBL Movement Online Community. So jump in today. You can see a link down in the show notes. And then I'll see you in the community. See you, Movement Makers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the PBL Simplified Podcast. I appreciate you. I'm honored that you tune in each week. Would you please take two minutes to leave a rating and a review? When you leave a review, it lets the next person know that this is a podcast worth listening to. When they go into their player and search project-based learning and PBL Simplified popped up, when they see those reviews, they know that high-quality visionary leaders are listening. So they tune in too, and they can find their way into the PBL journey. Thank you so much for leaving a review. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you.